As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic, a podcast all about a life following Watford Football Club. Uh, my name is John uh, and on this Sunday evening after Watford are losing 4-2 away uh, at Leicester City uh, is Mike. The frost is still fresh on my on the soles of my boots, <laughs> the snowflakes are still dripping from my eyelashes, my god it was cold out there. <laughs> and Colin. Uh, good evening. Good evening, yes. I got home a bit earlier than Mike. I, got, I managed to get a train that actually took me all the way home without being delayed. So that's always a bonus when you come home from a freezing cold game. Well, we're, we're slowly warming up here uh, in our homes. It was a weird feeling at the end and, and actually the whole way through because I don't think I've ever seen Watford lose 4-2 where I, I'm feeling quite positive. Mike... You're not the positive king of this of this world. <laughs> How did you feel after that? You know the whole performance as a, as a piece. What I probably would say is it's probably more fun, bizarrely, being there despite the the Arctic conditions and the and the blizzard and the snow and the defensive whatever it was. It was actually you know as an event, as a spectacle, as a piece of entertainment. It was just a really ruddy good laugh, actually, this, this, this afternoon. <laughs> it was good fun. It was rip-roaring. It was a bit mental. Uh, there were mistakes. There were good opportunities. You know, we'll go to talk about it properly in terms of what was good and what was bad about it. But in terms of a day out and just going to enjoy yourself and forget what's going on in the world, it was it was a good... I mean, watching Watford lose is never good fun, but you no, know what I mean. No, it was, I mean. was rip-roaring... It was it was it was just entertaining, and I think really sometimes you know me more than anyone, I'm, I'm guilty of taking it far too seriously and 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 letting what Watford do dictate my mood far too much. So um, giving myself a little bit of a lesson and and just being there this afternoon, having a good old sing song while the snow came down, and ultimately 
I thought we probably would end up coming home with a 4-4 draw as well. <laughs> even even with sort of nine, 90 minutes up and seven minutes to go, I thought we might it might end up being a memorable one. So, look, it was it was good fun. But but having thought about it on the way home and, and gone through the the text from a cousin and a brother and, and and Twitter and so on and so forth, it, it does feel like we've let one get away really there. So, yes, it was entertaining. But in the context of Watford, my football club, and in the context of this this Premier League season, it feels like we've probably let a, a bit of an opportunity slip. But like you say, John, stuff that we can we can take we can take learning points out of it certainly, but also a little bit of, of positivity because again, going forward, we we look great fun. Colin, you know, we, Watford started incredibly brightly. It was a continuation of what we saw against Manchester United. I think that that was probably what that put me in a positive thing, and it, it, it felt felt like it didn't really drop. Um, we were attacking, we were purposeful. It was working from the midfield through to the attack, but unfortunately, on 16 minutes, they scored a goal, um, and it came from uh, a, a deep. They pass. didn't score a goal, John. They, they were gifted a goal. <laughs> okay, okay, off you go then. <laughs> Well, uh, there's a ball over the top. And I mean, it's just a, a simple clearing header from Truce to Kong, who at the last split second decides to duck under it. Presumably, it's a really hard one to understand because obviously in the stands around me, people are going, well, Madison must have shouted. He must have shouted keeper or leave it. or Because obviously Backman wasn't going to do that because he could see Madison. But but none of the Watford players complained. So when we when we dissected it in the stand, we're thinking, well, if he had, if Madison had shouted "Leave it" or "Keepers," which, uh, if you may remember, did happen when we were at Bournemouth yeah, once, yeah, 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 when Chalabar went absolutely mental afterwards, exactly, because yeah. it's like you should be, but you, you can be booked for that. That obviously didn't happen. So then we were just left with the idea that William Trustecong just thought it was a really good idea to duck under it because he thought Batman was right behind him, which meant which the thing that me, the thing it means, John, is that he didn't know who was behind him, and and that is a, that's an absolute crime as a defender to not know who is where everyone is the other thing john is that i think you know i don't, don't want to go too much heavy on 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 backman but if that was ben foster and one thing we have picked up from his <laughs> from his videos is that we would have just heard away 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 yeah, exactly and he would right. have he would have been screaming at him leaving him in in no doubt and and colin's absolutely right william truster kong won't look for anywhere to to hide after no. after that it was a no. it was a complete meltdown <laughs> a, a catastrophic error and in the context of the game a, a, a really a really quite bad one actually because we, we started incredibly well and leicester all, okay they had a good win in midweek in Europe, but but sort of having a look at what their supporters were saying, we need to we need to transfer that form to the to the Premier League because there was a little bit of worry about how they've been performing in the Premier League and and what they would have seen in that first fifteen minutes. Yes, they looked bright going forward, but we were marauding forward and 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 terrifying them quite frankly. And it you know we we were on top really when when that happened. So in the context of the game, it was a it was a dreadful dreadful mistake. It, it, as a centre back, as a goalkeeper, they you know, they are key components when a goal goes in. You can usually you can usually sort of isolate where, where it's gone wrong, and you you are exposed when something goes goes badly wrong like that. You haven't got any any margin for error. But that is. You know, you could say it's inexcusable. They're professional footballers, but they do make mistakes. But it's just an absolute whopper, isn't it? And, you know, it, it, Batman, <laughs> just tell him, get away, 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 away. And even if he's even if he's not sure, nod it out. What would Craig Cathcart have done? You know, nodded it out or, or, or just nod it back into play. 
Um, and if you're not sure, you have to just have a quick glance. Have a quick glance. If the ball was in the air a long time. You've got time to check your lines, check both shoulders, and then make your decision. Uh, and he didn't do it. And it set the, it set the tone for... for, for for a madcap afternoon, unfortunately, def- defensively. But it was just so, so disappointing on the back of an exciting um, start. Like you say, John, very much in the vein of picking up um, where we left off against against Manchester United, the best form of defence. And it's starting to really feel like this in the truest sense of the world. The best form of defence for Watford is attack. Get forward to them. Let them worry about us going forward, and then we'll try and score four if they score three, sort of thing. So, Colin, you know, with with that though, you know, the, the, the one of my favourite things about the game is our heads didn't drop. You know, we were down Ishmael Asar as a, as sort of a starting up. Did you did you see that much was missing from that from that? Um, in, or not saying missing something? Were we doing anything differently because we didn't have Ishmael, or was it just a, a straight swap? Uh, it was a straight swap, but I don't think the team. Uh, believes in Cucho in the way that it does in Ismaila. And also, we clearly decided to to target, a bit like we did with Wan-Bissaka the previous week, we decided to attack Castagna, their right full-back. Interestingly, we started with King on the left and Dennis down the middle. And I think it's back to this thing that Mike and Jason were talking about, um, Jason on the, on the podcast last week, about how if you want King to win that out ball then push him out wide because he can win it there. Whereas if he's up against Soyuncu, then maybe he won't be able to win it and control it. So there was long periods where King was out on the left side and Dennis was through the middle. But we were definitely going down that left-hand side far more than we were going down the right-hand side. And I don't know whether that's because they think that Cucho isn't quite ready for that sort of responsibility. He did some quite good things in the game, I thought. I thought he was, he was you know, he does what he does. He runs around a lot. He, he wants the ball. He asks for the ball. He doesn't get the ball that much. But there was a, a lot of movement down that our left-hand side. And we looked really, really dangerous. It was, it's, it's a fascinating game because both defences looked vulnerable and creaky throughout the game, basically. And, that, and I include the Leicester defence because at 3-1, they were wasting time. They were looking really concerned. Um, they were v- very worried about our strength. And I, in fact, I travelled home with my neighbour, who's a Leicester fan, and his daughter, who's a friend of Lily's. And he was saying, you know, in that's, you know, I, I felt you were stronger than us. I felt you had more aggression than we did. I thought you were you were on the front foot more than we were. And I, I feel quite concerned about our defence, which used to be really we could rely on it, and now we don't seem to be able to. And it was that movement down the left in the end which led to the the winning of that penalty. And it was again, it was Dennis getting on the ball getting into the box they tried to they were trying to keep him outside the box but he got in the box and then from the side it was an absolute clear clear penalty and I, I felt like Mike said it felt, it felt totally deserved like we'd been in that game we'd been forcing the play up front even though we'd made this catastrophic defensive error which had led to their goal but we just got back on the horse went forward down that left hand side which was clearly a plan and into the box and boom uh, it was a pen they complained about it, didn't they? They complained really bitterly about it. And they complained a lot all afternoon, Leicester, about everything, I thought, which actually started to annoy me because they were doing just as much as we were. But we were being more aggressive, more physical, and they didn't like it. We should take that as a compliment, Cole. We should t- take that as a compliment when you see that with the home side 
bleating like that to, to the ref about everything. Casper Schmeichel does it a lot. And that's part of his part of his armory of, of technique, I suppose. But I think we, we should take that as a compliment and take it as as, as sort of um, ratification, if you like, of, of, of how concerned they were about us and what we were we showed we were capable of doing. But what we also showed we were capable of doing was not being able to then once we'd got back level keeping a oh. keeping a foothold in the game well first of all let's talk about the penalty because that's how you take a penalty Ishmaela. um very confident penalty uh from joshua joshua king not having to be retaken but you say that the, the, the game swung from from us to them from us to them from us to them and you know that end of the first half colin where they got two goals both from jamie vardy now i'm sure leicester fans are sat on their podcast now going god jamie vardy he's amazing and we're all sat here going, no, Watford's defence were absolutely terrible. Colin, who's right, us or them? Well, I, I suspect they're not saying that. I suspect they're talking about their defence. <laughs> the, the second goal, I felt, because I was right in line with it where I was standing. So I, could, I was sort of around, I was kind of level with the six-yard line. And the ball into Vardy comes on the left-hand side of the goal. And he is a naturally right-footed player. So he's fundamentally on the wrong foot. And he's got Kiko uh, along, literally alongside him. People can 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 watch the highlights and see that Kiko's there. And for some unbeknownst reason, Backman decides that he's going to get to that ball first. Now, for even from where I was standing, he's got a hope in hell of getting there first. He doesn't just run out and make himself big in the kind of Casper Schmeichel, Allison Edison type of goalkeeping where he just takes two steps away from his near post, makes himself massively big and says, you can't score from that angle. He actually runs out and then dives down to try and get the ball, at which point he's basically invited Vardy to chip him, which he does. And it is an excellent finish from that angle. I mean, there's no question about it, but it should never have been, that should never have been an option for Vardy. He had Kiko playing close attention Batman stays on his line. If he shoots, he saves it, unless it's some sort of miraculous shot that goes into the top of the net or whatever. But the chart, the percentage chance of him scoring from that angle is is reduced if Batman stays on his line. But for some reason, he comes pelting out in, at the wrong time without with not, no 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 chance of actually getting his hands on the ball. So he's either going to score or he's going to give away a penalty. Right? That's that that's what's going to happen. And you can see it. And you close your eyes because you think, what is he doing? And, you know, that, and, and it was an avoidable goal. It was a bit like the first one, avoidable. And as I said to my friend on the train back, he said to me, you know, all your, goal, all your goals were avoidable and you should have won the game 2-1 or, or 2 nil even. But for some reason, the communication uh, at the back there wasn't correct. Kiko should be shouting, saying, I've got him, I've got him, you know, stay on your line or there should, there should be more communication. But it, it seemed like all those communications just broke down Batman decides to come piling out and and Vardy sees it and thinks oh and as he starts to go down Batman he just lifts the ball over him I think with his right foot even though he's on the left side of the I mean it's quite astonishing really and it was so deflating we'd fought quite hard to get that get back in the game get the pen score the pen and within minutes we were back 2-1 down and then the third goal I don't really I didn't really see the third goal so I I, I know it was a header from Vardy sort of back across the goal Again, he was unmarked. I mean, he's their most dangerous player. How can he be unmarked? You know, King was running after him, um, but lost him, <laughs> and had he had a lot of space to be able to just, you know, you know, glance it, glance it in. Do you think, Mike, though, Backman was trying too hard to impress? 
I, d I don't know about that. I mean, he's he's made a, a bit of a rod for his own back. I've mentioned it on the on the podcast a, a, a while back that I haven't necessarily been impressed with him being so public about his feelings and his sort of desire to, to move on if he's not getting in the team. And, and I think Colin and I were in agreement on, on that topic, talking about it before the game. So I think there's probably limited sympathy for him amongst us, us Watford supporters, in fairness. Having, having said that sort of stuff, you need to go out and, and, and deliver an exemplar performance. And, and he didn't. You know, there were lots of complaints around me throughout the game about him not coming for crosses, not dominating his, his area. You know, we've already talked about the the, the Trusty Kong error and what he could have done there. Collins just uh, articulated there what happened with the with the Vardy first goal, and, and I do think that perhaps the ball from Madison sort of it was a lovely ball. He had to sort of shape his body and scoop the ball over, and it probably took everyone a little bit by surprise. They don't, weren't expecting him to get get the ball through, and everyone was like, "What are we going to do?" And they they contrived to to let Leicester score, but um, <laughs> so. It, it feels like a different Watford side with, without Ben Foster in it. And I just think there is just that huge wealth of experience, that organisational sort of expertise, that nous, and he just is a little bit more commanding. Of course, we know Ben Foster's got his faults. We're, we're, we're painfully aware of that. But he just seems to organise a little bit better and a little bit more commanding. So was he trying too hard? I, I, I'm not sure. I think we probably saw the Dan Backman that, that we know. And, you know, my question is, a blunt one, is he better than he thinks he is? He, does he think he's better than he is? Um, because he's picked the ball out of the net four times today. Um, and whether he should have done or not is, uh, is, is very, very debatable. Colin, it, it was snowing by then quite a lot and it continued to snow for quite a while. Half-time, it really snowed. Uh, and, and there was a point where I was watching at home and the substitutions came at half-time again. I can't see who on earth that is. And that was a big <laughs> thing for most of the game. I mean, however bright they think that Premier League uh, winter ball is, it's not bright enough. But, you know, Cleverly went off for Tufan and mm. Loser went off for Jal Pedro... I didn't see anything, you know, no need, there was no need for Cleverly and Loser to, to go off. What was Ranieri's thinking? What do you think? Well, I, I think his thinking was, was what I would say, probably reasonably clear. We're 3-1 down and he thinks that the best bit of our team is the bit going forward uh, and that there's a chance with that Leicester defence being so creaky as it was all afternoon that we could actually get on top of this game and, and actually get something from the game. And uh, he took the risk of saying, taking off his number six in loser and putting on another eight to play alongside Sissoko and, and sticking Pedro up front and saying, go on then, handle that Leicester, Leicester defence. Because our defence, we we, we're, we're incredibly leaky to, and, and I can't solve that problem at half time. So the best form, as has been said already, the best form of trying to defend is to pile the pressure on the opposition's defence. So in a way, it was a huge risk. But you know what? It, it paid off. We did look more threatening. We looked better. And as the snow fell, Leicester dropped deeper and deeper because they had more things to worry about because they had the marauding Jao Pedro who plays in that, in that area between the, you know, the, the, the sides of the opposing penalty box. He hardly ever goes out wide. He's always in that central area getting on the ball, snapping into tackles, getting the ball, running with the ball, passing, laying off, getting the ball back. And uh, with Sissoko behind him and Tufan behind him as well, I guess, sort of just trying to be slightly calmer. But by then, 
by then, John. The game looked like a playground game. It started to, <laughs> to resemble a sixth form football match at lunch in the snow. Like, we're still going to play, aren't we? Yes, we are. So let's just play in the snow in our school uniforms. And we're just going to kick the ball as hard as we can. We're going to kick it up in the air. We're going to chase after it. Everyone, everyone's going to be appealing for fouls. That went out for a throw-in. That was a corner. That wasn't this. It, was, it really did start to feel like that. But one of the reasons it, it became so kind of Keystone Cops, if you like, was because we did really pile on the pressure. And there was a moment where Cucho got on the ball Really, the one really notable thing he did was he got on the ball, he, he beat one man, but he was coming sort of horizontally across the pitch, but he got into the box and, the, and it all opened up for him because Josh King made a really nice run, which pulled a defender out wide. And you thought, just shoot, just shoot, shoot on your, on your right foot, just, just pass it into the goal. And he laid it off to King. It wasn't a great pass and, and, and the goal didn't materialise. But within, within a couple of minutes, we did score. Yeah, and, Dennis's uh, goal on sixty-one minutes. Uh, he is finish. apparently the uh, the best thing is that he he's the sixth man to ever get uh, five goals and five assists in less than twelve games. He is there with the likes of Eric Cantona, Jurgen Klinsmann, Robin um, Arshavin, and Bruno Fernandez. Uh, he's he's doing some great stuff, uh, isn't he, Mike? It was a lovely finish because, as as Colin sort of alluded to there, it, it was getting pretty chaotic, and Watford were really getting into some really, really good opportunities, but it was just so frenetic and Leicester were sort of bodies on the line a little bit and Watford weren't weren't taking the shots when, when they should have done. But so for Emmanuel Dennis to have the um, the clarity of thought amongst all the the chaos and nonsense to to basically send uh, send um, send Casper Michael for a biscuit it was it was it was really impressive he he he, he, dinked, he, he dummied him put him on his backside and uh, looped it over and we were all going berserk in the way end and we thought right here we go it's um it's excitement time again but yeah D- Dennis is is proving to be a real live wire I mean he's he's an absolute lunatic isn't he and I mean that in the in the fondest possible way I mean I love the fact that he came back from his his suspension for for accumulating five bookings against Manchester United to then get booked in the 95th minute for taking his shirt off um and then today he managed to to manage to get to get himself injured by by basically launching himself into uh into a, what was a pretty unnecessary foul really against uh, against his Leicester opponent so he is yeah, he's a he's a live wire he's a he's a jack in the box and he's obviously not without his sort of rough edges but also he's he's quick he's direct he's got a light touch uh, speed of of thought, physically he, he's quick as well. So he is a huge, huge asset, and he is looking like, you know, for all the world, like we we failed to plug the the holes at the back. What we have done is is, is picked up a real gem in terms of a in terms of our striking ability. He he's going to be important to us as the season goes on because, you know, we've picked apart the performance and it was it, it was a mess really in, in all honesty. But what we are doing and what 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 teams of a lesser caliber than Leicester will be worried about is we can score and we can we can threaten size you know there was no Ismail Asata I actually thought Cucho did did a reasonable job he had that that goal that that effort that came off the off the bar or the post I think it took a big deflection but I thought he looked busy and so what we're doing that that others aren't is scoring and scoring with with pretty decent frequency so don't get me wrong there's a lot to be sorted out a hell of a lot um, and we don't need to get too complacent that just because we're scoring goals, we're we're going to make a decent fist of this this relegation battle. But 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 Emmanuel Dennis is is looking the part I, I, and fast becoming a cult hero. I think a little word for 
for Josh King as well. He obviously found it difficult. The quotes after the game, I think he said he could feel the snow on his boots and it all feels heavy. And I think anyone that's played um, rugby or hockey or football in, in, in blizzard conditions at school, which is probably most of us can imagine exactly what it's like. But I thought he he still looks like that number nine. He's big, strong, combative. And yes, he's got his limitations. He took these penalties tremendously well. Um, but with those guys up there and, and changing around, supplemented by Pedro in the second half, 90 minutes, we knew there was going to be six, seven, eight minutes of injury time. And, you know, at, at that point, even I didn't think we were out of it. Collins, do you think, though, you know, the fact that we'd made those two substitutions at half time, you only had one to make. Uh, and at that moment where Dennis got injured, he put Fletcher on. But Messina had a pretty bad bang in the run up to Leicester's fourth goal when he was laying out on the on the pitch. Do you think that, that we lacked something in the last part of that game because we couldn't put, you know, maybe that was the moment to put two fan on, not not at half time? I don't know. I, I, I think you have to you have to back your decision to make the side a more attacking threat at half time when you're 3-1 down and you know that actually their defence isn't that great and we've created a lot of chances. I think we had something like 16 or 18 shots you know, seven, six or seven on target. You know, we were we were definitely threatening their goal, and so I I, I don't think that that was a mistake. I I think Messina was, and I don't like digging out individuals, but he he was so poor in the first half, particularly. I expected him to get substituted actually at half time because he was being such a bad game. There was one moment. The thing that he wasn't doing well, which he has done in the past, but he was really poor today, was that. He got himself out of position. And this is against a team that's got pace all along their front line. And they like to push the ball through the channel and let one of their players run onto it, whether it's Madison, whether it's Lookman, whether it's Vardy. And he got himself at left back out of position again and again by charging forward. There was one comical moment. I don't know if you remember, remember this, Mike. It certainly won't be on match of the day. A, a ball, there's a high ball and Sissoko's basically under it. And Messina comes pelting out from his left-back position to challenge for the ball, basically challenging his own player. The ball is lost and it's headed back over his Messina's shoulder. And I don't know who the player was. Is is in acres of space because Messina's out of position. He had no reason to run up there and try and head it. And he was doing that again and again. He was getting himself into bad positions. He was getting skinned defensively. And he just, he looked totally not at the races. And, I, and, and at half-time I was thinking... I think you need to get that. You need to get him off because he's having an absolute mare uh, in the way that, you know, like Wambasaka had a mare against us and, you know, D- Danny Rose didn't do well at, when we played against Liverpool and Arsenal. But, you know, sometimes that happens with fullbacks. They're just overmatched or they're being targeted and there's not enough help. But um, it was unfortunate. Again, it was a bit similar to their, to our second goal. You know, the Leicester team went absolutely crazy after we scored. I mean, in fact, I would say that Kasper Schmeichel was complaining to the ref about the fact that had, there was a foul in the build-up before Dennis had even scored. He was waving his <laughs> arms, you know. And then Dennis scored and then he came running out and he surrounds the ref and the whole team surrounds the ref and they do a big VAR check and the ref's shaking his head and going, that, as far as I'm concerned, that's a goal. They're not going to overturn that unless it's really something he's missed. But he was looking at it, he said, play on. And then in our one, I guess you just have to take the rough with the smooth because it did look like Messina was fouled. It was very disappointing to see that fourth goal go in. But it was that goal, really, back to your original question, John, that kind of took the sting out of us with, you know, 10 minutes to go. And the, the whole game, because of the conditions and the, and the fatigue, the game started to kind of break down and that we didn't carry the threat 
Ashley Fletcher made no discernible difference when he came on. He didn't win any. They were pumping it into him, but he wasn't winning headers. He wasn't causing any. He wasn't making a nuisance of himself. He wasn't bringing people into the game. So it was a last throw of the dice, but it didn't happen. But they're, but they're perhaps the concerning things, aren't they? Because if you add them all up, so King scored after 30. Vardy's first goal came after 34. Dennis gets us back to 3-2 on 61. And Lookman's scoring six, six minutes later to, to make it 4-2. Emmanuel Dennis kind of does get himself injured and he he takes himself out of the game when it was it was still there to be had and you know we've been we've been quite positive and and, and upbeat considering we've just been beaten beaten 4-2 but you do have to look at those and I think uh, Musa Sissoko has said after after the game we've got to cut out those those mistakes and and we really have because that that's not good enough to 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 claw your way back into a game at, you know Leicester are, are, are a decent. This is a this is a good side playing at home in front of a a big home noisy crowd with with high expectations. A, a decent manager as we know only too well. So to have got ourselves into really 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 good contention and then to to basically blow it better than the point even at home to Newcastle for me because at least it looks like we're, we're doing stuff and we're a threat. And and we've moved on, and we're we're a, we're a different animal than to than what we were six weeks ago when we just looked lost and, and adrift and and quite frankly pretty damn hopeless. So there is there is hope, and there is excitement, and there is stuff for for the opposition to worry about now, which we simply weren't delivering. But we have got to stop being the architects of our own downfall. We can't. You can't do it that often in this division. We've blown some real big opportunities at home. Newcastle uh, and Southampton leads away when they were on their arse and and really if we're being completely honest we've let one slip through our fingers today as well um, not that we'd have expected necessarily anything from from Leicester away but once again we failed to to follow up a, a, a thumping impressive at home and we haven't managed to to do it the, the second time out and you know Ranieri will be frustrated the players will be frustrated but but saying that is it, it, they're just words they don't mean anything until they get out there and are disciplined on the pitch from minute one to minute 90, whatever it is. Um, and that's, you know, we're manoeuvring ourselves into positions to do well in games. They've got to do better from those situations because games will start running out. And now you, know, you don't need me to tell you what the next week looks like. We won't bother talking about it. We'll have plenty of time to, to pick through the bones over whatever happens. But this has got now that got the possibility to be a very, very, very difficult week. And does that have, a, have an impact? You know, so they, they know what they've got to do. There are there are more than green shoots now. And I think we are we are looking genuinely exciting, genuinely threatening and genuinely worrying for opposition defences going forward. The midfield's got a bit of steel and bite about it. Sissoko's revelling in his role as, as captain, I think. Um, cleverly is, is coming to the fore, which is good. We're getting minutes out of him. Loser is now starting to look like the player that, that Watford thought they'd signed in the summer. We've just got to cut out these ludicrous mistakes at the, at the back and they, they've how they do it, I don't know, because you know we've talked about it a billion times about whether we've got the right personnel. We've got what we've got until until January. Let's keep try and keep people fit as well. We need a bit a bit of luck in that regard. The biggest thing about defence is we've got to keep them fit, and we've got to get them fit. And at that point, then we know exactly what we need in January. Truth to Kong is Truth to Kong is you know in my mind fifth choice or should be fifth choice, maybe fourth with him and Cathcart. 
but he isn't and he started today that, so once we get those th- those sorted out it'll be fine and this next week's going to be fine i hope <laughs> looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24/7 us based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. We move on, Michael, but but I thought it was a good chance just to, to have a chat with a few people or you to have a chat with a few people at the away games because I had a very strange feeling this last week. You know, we have been here with this team and we didn't really like them much to begin with or not enough, apart from the Aston Villa game. And I found it hard to connect with them, really, until last weekend. And I think just after that, just because of that Manchester United game, I feel more connected to them than I do with the promoted team of last year. And that seems, I, I get why, but it seems a strange thing. And so where, where, where is everyone at with this team? Where are you at with this, this squad, Mike? Cool. Well, you know me, John. I've been up and down um, <clears throat> and I've fallen in, in and out of love with them as as, as quickly as you, you could possibly imagine. So <clears throat> I agree with you a little bit. I'm finding it hard to really love this side. That's no disrespect to them. That's no disrespect to Watford. Uh, I think it's just that the situation that we've been in, obviously, no, no one in the ground. Um, and we, we're just now we're getting used to, to 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 being amongst fellow fans again. We haven't seen the team as much as we we'd like. They've been a bit peculiar in their in their performances. Um, the team isn't really settled. We've got players who we thought would be mainstays not really featuring, then getting injuries, and there's been a few little. It's just been a little bit bitty, hasn't it? It's felt like for me, um, and and the performance have been very inconsistent. So for me personally, it's hard to sort of get really excited about this team as a whole as you say though until the last couple of games and and bizarrely today was actually quite good fun being there because you got that sort of spirit of camaraderie that you get at being there there was there was snow falling everyone was thinking crockies to get a game gonna finish that no that's to see that's the thing for me that's exactly i i am feeling that's i think that's a, a remarkable change since that brighton away game 
because there was no camaraderie. And I don't think I've felt any camaraderie since we've been back at, 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 at games this season. And that's the thing I'm loving about this team. After la- last week, you know, after that Manchester United game, uh, I think I know the, the characters and the personalities just all of a sudden. And, and of course, with the Everton game as well. But it was just, it was an amazing thing. And I think, you know, what you're saying there, you know, e- I, you know even at half time, did, did it feel, you know, even though we were in a bad place at that point, you know, 3 1 down, did it feel with the fans that actually death and destruction? Everyone had obviously had the wind taken out of their sails a little bit. It was 3 1, and we were a little bit frustrated because we thought we were, we were probably better than that and should have been in the game. But no, it was sort of, it was, it was almost like an event again, which is what you want your football to be, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you the, the snow added to it. The, it was a sort of kamikaze um, opening goal for Leicester. So we, we were masters of our own downfall to a degree. But then we came roaring back and had op- opportunities. And yeah, I think, I, I think you're right, John. I think that we're starting to see some personality about this, about this team. Um, and, and, and that makes them much, much more easy to get behind and to feel aligned to. Uh, people like Joshua King, Emmanuel Dennis is obviously a, a big character. João Pedro, we're starting to learn more and more about him. I mean, we know a lot about him already, but just seeing him come on, look, he looks 10 foot tall when he comes on these. We're just learning more about, about the players. Some of them, um, we're learning stuff that probably we wouldn't want to learn. Um, <laughs> uh, to, uh, yeah, and there'll be a few that, uh, as we mentioned, won't want to be watching Match of the Day too many times. But yeah, it, I think we're starting to click and there's a whole host of reasons why like I said that the, the whole the reality of the world at the moment is is difficult and, and often confusing and uh, contradictory and, and just a bit weird really you know there's some people who who understandably don't feel ready to go to, to football yet some people do go but are a bit trepidatious and for other people it's it, it's business as usual and everything is fine for all for all those different um, types of people but it, it is taking a little bit longer to, to mesh together and that combined with with Watford's performances being a bit Jekyll and Hyde and and the injuries and the suspensions and, and so on and so forth but it does feel like it does feel like slowly, 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 this side, this head coach, and the fans are starting to mesh together, mesh together quite nicely. Well, let, let's find out. I sent you the task uh, of on during your trip to uh, Leicester today to have a chat to as many Watford fans as you could grab. You, you grabbed eleven uh, to talk about this, how they're feeling, how they're reacting to this squad this season compared to, to past teams that that we've uh, past squads that we've been following. Uh, you spoke to Fred, Tom, Harry, Aaron, Harry, or especially Aaron, uh, you'll find out why, especially Aaron, uh, Millie, Charlie, David, Ollie Wicket, our great mate, uh, and Stu and Stu. Uh, so let's see what they had to say about how they're feeling as Watford fans towards this current Watford squad. We're joined on this bright, crisp uh, Sunday morning by Fred, Tony and Harry. Fred, we're going to start with you. How have you felt about Watford so far this season? I felt we've been a bit inconsistent. We're able to beat teams like, say, Man United, but then lose to teams. How's that made you feel? It's made me feel like I'm not too sure about this game because last week you beat Man United. I reckon we'll lose 2-1. Few giggles from from Tony and Harry. Tony, what what do you think? How, what's your feeling about sort of being a Watford supporter at the moment? Watford, we're always on a roller coaster ride at yeah, Watford, yeah. aren't we? We're either up or down, and we, you know we've been to Wembley enough times. We've not not won there properly yet in like an FA Cup final. We've done all right in playoffs, and we always seem to bounce back. But we haven't got a. a a, a premiership squad at the moment I don't think right. we're coming through they've got some good lads coming through 
and we, we, we just take our wins when we get them. It's a surprise to you if we stayed up? No, I think we will stay up. Nice. I think we will stay up. A bit more confident than young Freddie, that's what we like. Yeah. <laughs> so, Harry, you obviously Watford beat Man United last week. Yeah. Big, big result. Does that change how you feel about Watford? How no. You th- no, I think I think we played really well last week. I think Man United, have, like everyone said how bad they were, but I thought we were brilliant. I think the first half last week, we could have went like, toe-to-toe with anyone. So that game against United, less less a flash in the pan, more a, a, a sort of illustration of what Watford are capable of. I think, yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah, because I think the Everton game we were like that as well. I think we were brilliant against Everton. So yeah, I think we've got the squad to do it, and and I think we could, we could I don't know, I think we could finish as high as fourteen, thirteen. I think the manager's a, a good manager. You think we're starting to see sort of run years enough managers revolve through that door? You know, we've literally got revolving doors at Watford, haven't we? Yeah, and I think we need some stability. And I think Renee's proven it'll be an emotional day for him today at Leicester. So he's, he's going to be uh, wanting to win there, but he's also going to enjoy the day as well. We are at the Counting House in Leicester. We made it, and uh, I'm joined by I'm joined by Aaron, Harry, and Millie. Aaron, I'm going to start with you because you're not even a Watford fan. You've turned up on this freezing cold day away at Leicester to watch a team you don't even support. What gives? Well, Harry's a good friend of mine, and he's come with uh, his girlfriend Millie, and they live close by. Uh, and I've never been to a football game before, wow. so I thought I'd come, and uh, Watford would be my first game. And what's Harry and what have Harry and Millie told you about what to expect from this Watford side? Uh, that they may lose today. <laughs> <laughs> they may well do. They may well do. Harry, first things first, congratulations for um, converting a new Watford fan. Well done. Another, another member of the, uh, the Yellow Army is superb. But I just wanted to ask really about your feelings about this Watford squad and how they've perhaps changed. Coming into this season and after the first couple of games under Cisco, what was your feeling about this squad and how you kind of related to them? I think a lot of people were happy with like our squad, especially the forwards. You can't complain, especially when it used to be Andre Gray and Troy Deeney. So I think everyone's happy. I mean, it's the defence, really, that people have a problem with. I don't know about you, Harry, but when we got relegated, I felt like there's a lot of those players weren't really pulling in the, direct, the right direction, didn't really feel like a team that I wanted to identify with. It perhaps felt like some of them didn't want to be there. And of course, we've had lockdown as well. So, in terms of like your connection with the with these players, is, is that taking some repairing, or the, where, where do you feel you're at with that? Yeah, I think it did at the start of the season, especially. Um, but when you look at like Sars celebration against United, you think, I mean, they do care, don't they? So, you know, I'm quite happy with where it's going now. Um, but I think there's still a way to go. You mentioned the Man United game, obviously a, a big win. Do you feel any better about the, about the season as a result of that? Well, I thought that when we beat Everton, and then obviously you go and lose to Southampton and it's an appalling performance, so you never know. There's always the hope, isn't there? So. It's the hope that kills you, of yeah. course. Millie, <laughs> what's your favourite ever Watford side? So, when I, so Harry converted me as well. Um, oh, Harry, well done. I know. The manager at the time was uh, Silver. I loved it. And then my heart was broken because it was all that problem with like Everton well. and Richarlison as well. And that was one of my favourite moments as well because yeah. it felt like Watford were a real Premier League side yeah. under, under Silver. So how, under Ranieri now, compare how you're feeling about Watford now to Watford then? What Can you sort of articulate that? I feel like I was quite naive then because it was a good run. And then obviously we got relegated and we've seen a lot of managers come in and we have like a high and then we start losing a lot and then they go so I feel like I'm a bit more um, battle hardened yeah I feel like um, 
the thing is consistency. And so we've had some really good games like Everton and you know United, but we've also seen some really bad games. Leeds, we went there and it was cold and it was not a good game at all. So I feel like we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so how soon should we be worried or how soon should we be excited? I think we've got some like early indicators of performance. So our forwards, as Harry said, they're really good and they're really exciting to watch, which I haven't seen for a really long time. It's just so good. Um, but then the defence is our letdown. And I think the defence has been better. Like in the Championship, we worked really hard on it. I just feel like um, that's where we're struggling. Harry, we'll wrap up with you. So that United game, does that give you confidence? Does that show us that we're, we're going to stay in the division with, with ease or is it just another just another game and we're on to the next already well I think it shows us that uh, we can expect some goals with this team uh, which is good always exciting but it's just whether our defence can keep out the goals still at the pub I'm afraid um, sorry about that if you're listening mum joined by Charlie and David Charlie what are we 13 14 games into this into this Premier League season you got your Watford scarf on you're clearly a big Watford fan what are you, what are you feeling about this about this Watford squad as a group of as a group of blokes uh, well, I'm feeling quite excited at the moment, obviously, because we've some good results, but it's been taking a long time to get us to, I don't know, to get our act together, isn't it? So, yeah, I'm excited about having Ranieri as a manager, and I think it's slowly seeing the progression has been really exciting, so I'm very excited now. When you see this current crop walk out onto the pitch, do you feel at this stage like you can identify with him? Do you feel like it's a, it's a Watford team you can love? Well, I do love them, because they're, they're winning at the moment, <laughs> but... Uh, as like in terms of like the characters and stuff, like probably not. And but that's just because I haven't been to so many games. But you know, listening to podcasts and Hive Live as well through lockdown definitely has like brought us a bit closer to the club, and that's been really good. So, but yeah, I'm just this is my first game in like five years. So amazing. Yeah, so I'm well, I'm well excited. Well, fingers crossed, it's a good one. Charlie, you mentioned that that Ranieri's taken over. David, what was your feeling about this this side under under Cisco, for example? I, I was excited under Cisco. He, he seemed to bring a, fr- a breath of fresh air uh, to the club. And then um, just not sure what, what happened, really. I mean, like, like with Charles, I haven't been to that many games lately. Just listened to stuff on the on the podcast and so on. But I don't know, something just didn't seem to, to progress, as we thought. And there, there were people saying, has he got a plan B and all the rest of it? I mean, I wasn't totally surprised uh, when this guy went, but he's such a lovely guy from, from, from all accounts. When Ranieri came again, I wasn't sure, was this, the right, was this the right choice? But now I'm beginning to feel, yes, it is, you know. I think Feels it's, like it's taking shape a little bit. If I could ask you to, to cast your memory back, what's the, what's the team or the squad that you felt most close to as a, as a Watford supporter? Oh, gosh. Charlie, you're nodding. Have you got an answer already? I, I, well, last time I saw it, it was like, you know, Armand Abdi is in the team, and I loved uh-huh. that team, you know, because it was so exciting then, wasn't it? And it was like when Zola was also in charge and stuff, and... See, you know, I it was back to good. Ken Furphy's era, so... Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that's, that's fascinating. So how, in terms, of, in terms of your connection to the side and how you feel about being a Watford supporter in terms of... Not just proximity, you both mentioned you don't get to as many games as you'd like, but in terms of your, you know, that emotional connection and, and feeling like you're, you're part of it, how, how's that changed over, over the years and, and, and what's it like now? Um, I, I, when I lived near Watford, I used to go to all, all the home games and if they won, if they lost, it was great. It's part of your, your Saturday afternoon out. But since then, I've, since the sort of um, Graham, well, the first Graham Taylor era, I've lived away from Watford. And so you get more worked up. You right, said, oh, yeah. you live on the Scottish Islanders. I did up to last year. 
And your, my wife's saying to me, why are you pacing up and down the floor? It's quarter to five. <laughs> oh, yes, of course, it's the football, isn't it? Then, <laughs> and um, it, just, it just takes you over, even though you can't be there. Um, so today is a kind of a rare day out. We've actually decided, let's go to a game. So we, we've come along and uh, hopefully it'll work out OK. Fingers crossed, knowing Watford, it'll be an absolute disaster for, <laughs> for everyone involved. But it's, it's really interesting to note that you, this is your first game for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Was this planned or was it, was it down to the, the Man United result? Did that tip you over the edge? Uh, no, I think we were just lucky timing, really. It's actually my dad's 70th that I've got tickets to come down today. So Amazing. Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, just talking about that Manchester United game, and it, it's been difficult this year with Watford because they haven't really been very, very consistent. And Man United, it feels like, right, OK, we've seen what we can do again. Has that, has that game changed your feelings about, about how this season is going? Yeah, I think it has, and I was amazed. We, we, we went shopping last Saturday afternoon to, into Banbury, and we turned on the car radio, and we were two nil up at half-time, and I thought, this is not going to last. We're going we're to we're throw this away. You know? That is the voice of someone who's been yeah. watching Watford for a very long time. Yeah. And then we turned it back on on the, on the, car, on the on way back on the car, and it, and it was 3-1 with about a minute to go, and, they said, oh, and they've scored a fourth. I thought, this is... Unbelievable! So I did think maybe something's happening now. Maybe Ranieri's got them, and they're playing for him, and they're doing this pressing that he's talked about, and, and maybe he's just beginning to work, work his magic. You know? Ollie Wicken, as I live and breathe. Ollie, how are you feeling about Watford Football Club at the moment? I'm very happy, very happy. Last week was, you know, something that you live for, really, isn't it? Something that occurs occasionally. It was just glorious. It was, it was one of those ones that you talk about forever. You, you keep it in your heart and you take two of those a season and after that you probably don't mind too much what happens. Does your view of this season change on the back of that game? You're usually very pragmatic, very sensible and thoughtful about, about Watford and their progress or lack thereof. So does that game change how this season looks for you? Do you know what? I haven't really thought about today's game in the same way that I didn't think about last week's game either. And even when I was in the pub with my mates before the game and my phone pinged with the teams, I was quite surprised there was a game on. <laughs> um, I'd thought about it that little. Um, I find that helps. OK, so a bit of, a bit of distance from, the, from what lies ahead. You don't think about the games too much. That's, that's good. But let's take, for example, the start of the season, mm-hmm. the first couple of games under, under Cisco. Yep. How are you feeling about Watford and this group of blokes under Cisco? And how are you feeling about them now? Well, after the first game against Villa, I loved every <laughs> single one of them to a man. Absolutely. Um, and then I went off them for a bit. Um, and then... You floozy, you floozy. Well, that's because I don't think about them too hard, <laughs> that's the thing. I suddenly have the, have the hots for, uh, <laughs> for the team when they win 5-2 at Everton or something like that. Let's, so look, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot, what's your favourite Watford squad that you felt, the, these are my guys, this is my team, this is, this is the Watford I adore? Adoration, I suppose I go back to when I was five and the team that won promotion in 1968-69 from the third division um, at a time when I had proper favourite players and that kind of thing I think as you get older that stops a bit but absolutely loved the ooh, the 1982 to 1985 Taylor teams yeah. because I was off at university um, when you're developing your own identity a bit away from home and it really matters you know who, who your team are and do you think obviously that was an incredibly special time it coincided with a with a good time for you personally as well do you think you can ever 
feel that close or connected to to a football team again? Yes, I think you can. It's driven by moments, isn't it? When Scott was saying on the podcast in the summer, then they want to provide moments for Watford, Watford fans. I think that's absolutely right, uh, because being a fan is about moments, and that's when I really connect with it. A team performance like we saw last week is when I really connect with it, and then if I don't think about it for a while, then distance um, just... Actually, no, distance is meant to lend enchantment, isn't it? Out of sight, out of mind, maybe. And, when they, and then when they come back and they give you another moment, you're, you're in love again. So, yeah, I'm fickle. I'm, I'm a floozy, aren't I? I love it. I love it. It's, a, it's the right approach, really. And, and, and listening to last week's podcast, Colin, I thought, was very sensible in his approach. He was saying it's too early to worry about relegation. And I sort of chastised myself a little bit for, uh, when I was hearing that from, from the wise old brigadier because I remember marching out of Vicarage Road uh, against Newcastle after what, seeing us sort of flounder to a one-all draw with Newcastle, texting everyone I know saying, we're going to finish 20th, we're rubbish, we're the most useless team ever to disgrace the Premier League. At what stage do you think it is sensible to make some sort of call about the, about the season and how it's going to go? And are people like me, perhaps, who say, well, this is obviously how the season's going to go, almost draw a straight line from performance A and B all the way through. At what stage do you think it's sensible, or indeed is it ever appropriate, to worry about how the rest of the season is going to pan out? That's Am it. I silly for, for being so up and down, is, is the question. Well, I, I, think it, I, think, um, I think it depends what you want to talk about to express the anxiety and the feelings you have. So after the Newcastle game, I hated that game more than I can remember hating a Watford game. Yeah. But... I was hating the referee's handling of the game, so that that was that was where I kind of uh, directed my anger in that game onto the referee. You directed it onto someone else, which was perhaps the performance, perhaps Newcastle's tactics. But we all have to find ways of rationalising to ourselves the anxiety that we feel. Um, and I don't think I've got, in, you know, I don't think I have enough brain space really to think all the way to the end of the season. Um, to worry about it there I think I'm, I'm more momentary um, and I'll, I'll be hugely excited after we've beaten United and keep watching the, the footage keep talking to my mates about it reading as much as I can for a few days and then not think about it um, and then see where I, I get to the next time and then have to deal with the, the anger or the joy that it gives me Well if that's chapter one of the Football Supporters Handbook by Ollie Wicken I will place my pre-order uh, with my local bookshop immediately. Thanks so much, Ollie. I'm joined in the cold queue here at the, uh, the King Power by Double Stew, who they've both found out they're in row Z, and we're just trying to work out if they want to be seeing lots of the ball or not. But anyway, we'll find out. Stew One, how are you feeling about this Watford squad, this Watford team, as a bunch of blokes? I increasingly like them as a bunch of blokes. I increasingly like them because they appear to be a well-coached bunch of blokes these days, which, uh, which is the important thing. No, I'm warming to this bunch. I am. Yeah. Okay. And what about you? It's funny, isn't it? Because it, I mean, it's been a lot of turnover, so it sometimes it just takes a bit of a while to warm to players. I, I, I find uh, calling them by their first names is really helpful. Helps me feel that sort of empathy with them. And I'm a particular fan of Emmanuel Dennis. I'm a bit upset that my chant of Dennis come back with my apple pie, which is a musical youth reference, has yet to catch on among the Watford faithful. So I'm hoping this opportunity to you know, broadcast that a bit more widely uh, is going to help. I'm not sure what the sort of Venn diagram of podcast listeners and musical youth fans is. Stu H, I'm going to ask you, what's your favourite Watford squad that you felt 
this is the Watford that I love. This is the Watford team that I can hang my hat on. This is a Watford squad that if my wife allowed me, I'd put their posters on our bedroom wall. Because I'm a million years old, I'd probably say the team that came up in 82, I think, probably. I think that was the first truly great Watford team I knew, so it'll be them, I think. And how does this, how does sort of supporting Watford now and your connection with the squad compare to, compare to those days, that, that, that particular squad? I suppose I can, I can legitimately call them son these days. Go on, son. Well, I always felt a bit weird doing that as a 12-year-old to, to a man with a moustache, Dennis Booth or whatever like that. They, they largely make my children happy, so that's good enough for me. Absolutely. Stu too. I'm often guilty of getting a bit over... A brilliant, I go a bit over the top when, when Watford are up, I'm up, and when Watford are down, I'm down. When do you think in a season it's reasonable to think about what the end of the season is going to look like? Probably about February. Yeah. I start to start. So you start. I start thinking. You know, does the does the points column exceed the played column? And start. You start to project forward. It just at this point, it feels so far to go. Sure. It's just. Yeah. I don't know. Every, every at the moment, you just think. You know, every every point gained is a point towards forty or thirty six or whatever it's going to be necessary. But at this point, at this point, I'm not really thinking about up or down. Wait, wait till after Christmas. I promised myself I wouldn't, I wouldn't be bothered at all till after Christmas and I'd just enjoy it and I would find most of my working time just pouring over the league table. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Mike, so everyone's just is getting to know and, and getting on with this Watford squad. Just, that, 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 it felt good listening to that, that lots of fans are in a really positive place with this Watford squad. Yeah, lots of lots of excited, sort of expectant faces there today. Uh, young and old, uh, from every creed, colour, race, sex. It was it was great. It was a good Watford following there today, and yeah, always good to to get a feel for for what people are thinking. And I think yeah, most people are are, are looking upwards and, and looking forward with a little bit of uh, of excitement. So a massive thank you to everyone who took the time to to speak to me today. I know it's a bit of a uh, pain in the backside when I when I thrust a microphone into your face when you're trying to enjoy a pint in sub-zero temperatures in, in Leicester. Where would you rather be, hey? So, but thank you to everyone f- for sharing their thoughts. It's, um, as always, great to, to, great to speak to so many of you. Yeah, thanks to Fred, Tony, Harry, Aaron, who's now a Hornet after that performance, surely. Uh, Harry, Millie, Charlie, David, Ollie, Stu and Stu. Colin, we've got two big games coming up this week. I don't know if you've been thinking about them and having nightmares about them uh, since the fixture list came out way back in the summer. Um, how, how can Watford get a point against Chelsea? And, or even, I'm not even going to say that about Manchester City, that's just a ridiculous thing to say. Uh, how can we get a point or something from that game against Chelsea on, in the week? It's a very what, they, what do they say? Perfect. They go. It's a very good question. When they say that, it's a delaying tactic. It they is. have absolutely no answer to the question. Um, I think one of the key things, which obviously we hardly know this player. Man, we missed Nkulo today. We missed his calmness. We missed his authority, and and we also missed Foster. I, I think there's no doubt about that. But we missed those two players because they provide us with authority and leadership at the back. It'll be interesting to see which way Ranieri jumps with Chelsea because. If he gets Nkulo back and Foster back, then that, that, that kind of decides it, the back five, I would say, because I suspect Messina will keep his place because it looks like Rose is not quite right at the moment. I mean, I, I, it's hard to know really what's going on with Danny Rose. We watched him play against Norwich. 
uh, at um, up there in Norwich, and he he was our best player. And he looked absolutely sensational, and the crowd singing his name. But against Liverpool, he had a torrid time. But good knows, he won't be the only left back to have a torrid time against Mohamed Salah this this season. But against Arsenal again, he didn't really look quite right. He hasn't played uh, since, so I suspect Messina will play. But we have to get that calmness back into that defending with the midfield. I think that Lusa will start. Uh, and Sissoko, and he may even bring Kutska back against Chelsea just to to make us a bit more robust. But then you're talking about just trying to defend for 90 minutes and get a nil-all draw, and I don't think that's Ranieri's way. He'll either decide to go all out by picking Pedro instead of Cleverly, or he'll stick with Cleverly with the idea that he'll bring Pedro on in order to cause Chelsea some problems. If we don't cause Chelsea any problems, they'll beat us. Simple as. If we cause them some problems and make them look over their shoulders occasionally and worry about the pace of our attack, and of course it's dependent on Dennis getting back to fitness before Wednesday, which might be a big ask, but it's just a knock on the ankle. He might be all right. Strap it up, have an injection, and on you go. You know, and he'll want to play in those games. They all want to play in those big games. We need to be more solid, and that's why I mentioned Nkula and Foster. We need to be more organised. We need to be able to work out where their threats are, and we need to be able to cut the supplies. What we did so brilliantly against Man United was we cut the supply off to the forward line. And if we can do that, then and we can we can push we can play a little bit in their half. But to be honest with you, I'm slightly clutching at straws, John, because Chelsea are awesome they're a machine they're like the old soviet ice hockey team the big red machine these they're, they're the big blue machine and they come at you and they come at you and city i guess are the same i watched city play against psg and i couldn't really believe what i was watching i thought i was you know i thought i was watching a replay of a game on fifa because they were just so interchangeable so good so able to keep the ball work with the ball you know, and they can move it quickly, they can move it slowly, they can probe, they can find those weaknesses. So I think it's going to be a tough week if we lose both games, which I, which I do suspect we will do. But if we lose them, maybe 2-0, two 2-1, nil, two two, you know, then... But if we take a couple of hammerings, it, it really will set us back and that will be really hard because after that, we've got Brentford and Burnley and, you know, then we've got games that we have to get points from. So I think it is a crucial week. I don't think getting a point or... Or, or, or getting points from these games is necessarily crucial. What's crucial is that we apply ourselves really well, that we're positive, that we're together, we're committed, uh, and 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 then just see if by some miracle, you know, we get a chance to to score or to or to get into the opposition half or to stop them from scoring. Go there with hope in my heart, but my feeling is what's important is that we don't get tonked on Wednesday and tonked again on Saturday because that will set us back psychologically, I think. Michael, thank you very much for your time this evening. Not at all. Keep the faith, guys and girls. Keep the faith. Long way to go yet. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, Colin. Thank you very much, John. We'll be back, of course, reflecting on the Chelsea game with the Midweek Podcast. Uh, so do make sure you subscribe to From the Recruit End. And also, if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic and you're still listening to this on Monday morning uh, and you you can get the special offer of £1 for a subscription per month uh, for 12 months, and that's one of the best deals they'll ever do for you. It's like getting a daily football and sports newspaper all electronically and that is great value where of course you can read all the Watford writing from Adam Levital as well as the amazing team that are part of The Athletic and so we'll see you again once Watford have taken on Chelsea and we'll still be smiling as mentioned when Mike was speaking to Stuart if you aren't aware of Musical Youth and you aren't aware of that song he mentioned let's go out to Denny! 